uh, uh, told him about it 20 minutes ago, which was yesterday only told me 20 minutes ago that I'm speaking here. Uh, okay. okay. That's just a joke. It's actually not true. Um, but I really am honored to be here. I heard so much about this this class, and we know this is the advanced track in, in Torch. And I hope I could uh, do justice to that, advanced. Uh, and like my brother says, what I'm going to try to do, I, I think maybe was maybe not the best character, the best way to describe what I'm going to try to do here is not to give a broad understanding and to cover every aspect of marriage. Rather, what I'm going to try to do is glean from the verses the core aspect of marriage. And sometimes you, there's the mothership, and then there's all the all the all the sisterships. We're going to try to figure out what the root idea, what the most important idea, perhaps even the definition of a successful marriage. We're going to bring uh, proofs to it, and 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 that that could already be uh, that that could be manifested in a million or a myriad of different scenarios that you know married people and people that have committed long-term relationships go through. So, I want to go back uh, to page page fourteen. I want to go to verse number 20. And uh, Adam is basically getting acquainted with all the animals. And he starts giving them names. And the man called names to all the animals and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for man, he did not find a helper corresponding to him. Right? So Adam's the one. He, everyone has a spouse and he's the only one who's a, who's a, who's a single person. Uh, and what's actually, I don't know what was covered last week, but or the you know pre- previous sessions, but uh, the uh, midrash over here says is that he was actually experimenting with other animals. Uh, he was trying to figure out which ones for me. There's got to be one there for me. It can't be that you know man who was the purpose of the creation doesn't have someone to share their lives with. And he's, he tried, he experienced with or he experimented with everyone, and none of them he found favor. None of them quite kind of worked out. It didn't work out. He was all alone. So what happened? And Hashem God cast a deep sleep upon the man, and he slept. And we're all familiar with the story. So uh, the Almighty puts Adam to sleep. He takes out one of his his ribs or his sides, and then he covers it up. Why does he put him to sleep? Because it's a discussion brought down the Talmud uh, in Sanhedrin. Well, why, so why put him to sleep? Just because, because otherwise, had Adam actually seen what happened, you see they pull out a rib and like they start building out of that, anew, he would lose all the all excitement. Right? You don't bring, if you want someone to really enjoy the meal, you don't bring them into the kitchen where you're actually dicing up the whole, you know, you know preparing it, you know, dealing with the blood and gut, so to speak. You give them the finished, finished product, right? Okay, fine. So, so, the Almighty creates this new person, Vayiv uh, and Hashem Elohim, and then Hashem God built uh, the side or the rib that he had taken. He built upon that. He made a woman, and he brought this woman to to Adam. And this is the critical two verses, uh, twenty three and twenty four. Adam, a man said, "Zosapam." This time means this time as opposed to previous times. It's a bone for my bones, and it's flesh of my flesh. To this woman, I'm going to call, this person I'm going to call, this entity I'm going to call a woman. Because it was taken from 
uh, from a man. Okay, so Ish and Isha are similar words. And the next verse, Al-Kain, therefore, right, for this reason, Ya'azov Ish et Aviv et Imo, a man shall leave his father and his mother, v'davak b'ishto v'hayul basar echad. This verse number 24 is the first documented self-help. Right? We're given instruction. Right? Who is this verse talking to? Al-Kain, therefore, who is it talking to? Who are we talking to? Adam. We're talking to Adam? Well, Adam already got married. Adam's been hitched. Who are we talking to? Someone reading the book. Okay? Read the story about Adam. Right? Adam's put sleep. We take out the rib. We build the, you know, the, the woman. We give the woman to Adam. Right? Adam's all excited. He said, this time it's a bone from my bone. It's flesh from my flesh. I'm going to call this woman Isha. Call her a woman. Therefore, hence, right? You're reading the book, you should know there's a lesson. Like, it's interjected. It's, it's, it's not actually not, not quite that, it's not so smooth. It's The context is a little bit troublesome. Right? Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother, right? cleave to his wife, and they should become one flesh. So, uh, first thing I want to I just maybe ask, the first question, I would, first angle I would try to examine this from is that the context seems very strange. We just gave a story, the wonderful story. Adam is looking for a spouse. He gets put to sleep. We create the woman. Boom! Marriage advice to future generations. You read the book. Stop for a second. Wait. Stop the tape. Stop the tape. I have a lesson for you. When you get married, you shall leave your father and mother. You should cleave to your wife. Become one flesh. It seems so strange. Where was the editor? It's... And also, I think it's also unique. Yeah, where else do you have in the Torah? Like, it, you stop the narrative, you stop the instruction, you stop the story, you give a device. It seems like, and it doesn't really flow so well. That's a problem number one. I would say the context. Problem number two. Al-Kain, therefore, what, is, what does the verse say? A man shall leave his father and his mother. Who, who are we talking to? Are we talking about the uh, the Jewish boy who loves his mother and, and can't possibly let go? Right? And we're telling him, leave your father and your mother. I, I would argue that maybe we should tell the girl that. Uh, but what does this mean? Well, we're talking to, to like the, the kid who can't leave his parents? Leave your parents? What? what? Okay, maybe. I like that idea. Hold that thought. But remember, we're taking Adam and we're saying, okay, this story happened to Adam. Now, therefore, as a result of this story, man shall leave his father and his mother. Adam didn't even have parents. Yeah. You can't say, oh, oh, look at Adam. He didn't, he didn't say, look, what do my, my, my mom. I mean, according to what you're saying, Rich, then it, it does, doesn't really flow. It's not really comparable. Man shall leave his father and his mother. Wait a minute. Adam didn't leave. Adam didn't have that challenge. So... Adam didn't have parents, right? And Adam was the one who says, this is a bone for my bone, a flesh for my flesh. That was, that was a previous statement. Now we're saying, leave your parents. I think it's a unisex. Yeah, that could be true. That, that, that could very much be true. I, I agree with that. Yeah, it's, it's saying, okay, listen, you know, you get married, you have to leave your parents. Right? You're developing something new. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig in really, really deep into that idea. But I think the perhaps the most fundamental problem with this verse is that if you're to read a little, you guys you guys already saw what happened. We know what happened a little bit later on, right? 
we know that Adam and Eve conspired together to commit the single most egregious act in mankind's history. They did the worst sin ever. Together, they altered the course of human history. Not only that, they did this tremendous sin. All of mankind suffered as a result. And afterwards, they started pointing fingers. And uh, God comes to Adam and says, why did you do that? He says, well, she, she did it. And she says, well, it wasn't me. Is this really the picture that we're trying to tell, you know, future generations? Hey, look at Adam. Right? Look what a beautiful, idyllic marriage they had. You too should leave your father and your mother, and you should clean to your wife, and be become one flesh. Adam and Eve are suddenly like on a pedestal as this is the prototype, right? Follow their example. Seems very strange, right? Adam and Eve didn't seem to have the best relationship or a marriage that you would tell someone, this is an admirable, this is something you should model your marriage after. Seems like a good question, Mark, right? Good question. Okay. Now, you were saying that Hashem told him and now you leave your parents. For me, it means like now... You guys are on your own. Don't ask me. <laughs> from the parent's perspective. Yeah. Like, Hashem is the parent. So, from now on, hmm. it's up to you guys. So, whatever you do, is up to you. So, I think there's that that could also be part of the lesson that, hey, you know, you realize that you're on your own, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I That's a very valid point. And, as we know with Torah, there's always multiple explanations. What I developed for, for y'all tonight mm-hmm. is one perspective there may be other perspectives as well and not to say that mine's any better than anyone else's but I think there's yeah that idea is for sure true and and what Rudy said is we're going to develop that as, and also what Rich says okay so now we have a, we have a few problems with these verses now I want to make another observation I'm talking about Adam you know we could argue that hey Adam and Eve were the first ones who got married there's something special maybe we, you know we, there's ways to wiggle out of this problem but I want to introduce another idea and there's another time where we take Adam and Eve and we make them the prototype of a successful marriage. What is that? The Sheva Brachot. Right? The seven blessings that we say under the Chupa, the, 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 the sixth, the fifth of the sixth blessing. I don't remember which one it was. Right? Uh, I think it's the sixth. I think it's the sixth. Sorry, it's the fifth blessing. The fifth out of the seven blessings reads as follows. Sameach tesamach reim ha'ovim and I'll translate that in English. Make happy this young couple, just like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Once again, we're praying. This young couple should be as happy as Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. Now, as, as you know, we read the story last week. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden how could we? You would have wished that to your worst enemies. No, but that that whole episode happened in the garden after after the um, after the sin. Then they were banished from the, from the Garden of Eden. Well, okay, so that's a, that's a nice way to answer. You say, "Hey, listen, you know, of course, something bad, really, really bad happened, but well before that, it was all good." And maybe we'll, and that could be a legitimate idea. Well, 
in the Garden of Eden, they, they received the curse. Yeah. In the Garden of Eden, they, their, their stature was lowered tremendously. I, we don't have a clue if they were happy or not. It doesn't say. We don't have a clue. It doesn't say. You know, she came out of his side. They were a little bit here. They ate from the... That's it. So what, what happened in between that? So what, what Rudy is saying is that, okay, listen, it's possible they were happy before they were bounced out. We don't know that. Though. And now, and, but you're just saying that they weren't miserable till they left. Okay, but who says they were happy? Your argument is saying, well, they weren't miserable, but you don't have a proof that they were happy. Okay, so so this is this is kind of the high point. You would you would agree this this these two statements, these two sentences, uh, verse twenty three and verse twenty four, are actually the the apex of Adam and Eve's relationship in the Garden of Eden, right? But we're going to try to examine what specifically uh, is so unique about the relationship, the marriage of Adam and Eve, that it's worthwhile to tell generations. Thousands and thousands of young couples, you're starting. You're starting a marriage. This is the first steps of a long journey. You're going to share the rest of your lives together. Who do you look at for advice? Who do you look at for guidance? Which relationship of a husband and wife is something that you should take steps to to emulate? Adam and Eve. There's something so unique about this, right, and so fundamental to marriage at large that every couple. Has something to learn from Adam and Eve. What I want to figure out is what is that idea? She also has no mother in law. Okay, I like that. And <laughs> and trust. They have to trust each other. So they trusted each other because there was no one else yeah. to rely on. Mm-hmm. means maybe there were you know, thousands yeah. or millions of animals, but there were only two humans. That we know for sure. There are only two humans. And hey, they, there's no one else. And I, I actually had a, a different slant of this idea. And that is that you know, it's important that once a couple – this is an idea and I think it's a true idea, so I'm going to share it. Once a couple makes the decision to live the rest of their lives together, they have to become like Adam and Eve. No one else exists. Right? All too often, right, people make their selection from the menu and they keep the menu. And then what happens? They get their dish and they say, oh, I should have ordered something else. Right? <laughs> Buyer's remorse. I bought a couch. Costco. And beautiful couches are so excited, right? And then you go to Costco and it's like, oh gosh, this is cheaper. It's just as comfortable, right? Because you, you see the couches, right? There's a tremendous danger. There's a tremendous danger of after you're getting married to take your spouse and compare them to other to other spouses, to other women or men, right? That's the perhaps the most dangerous thing that someone could do to their marriage. Right? So maybe that's the idea. Is that that's basically what you're saying, correct? Yeah? That after a couple gets married, right? Take as long as you want with the menu. As long as you want. But once you make the decision, we take away the menu. Right? Mm-hmm. 
So long as you're single, take as long as you want to decide who you're going to commit yourself for the rest of your life with. Once you make that decision, right, no one else exists, right? You're Adam and Eve. You have each other. There's no one to compare them to. Right? There's no one to say, uh, oh, God, this person would never do that, right? Or, no one else exists. You never compare your spouse with someone else because no one in your mind, she's Adam or she's Eve or he's Adam. And, uh, you know, I think that we're, we're familiar that uh, the longer someone or the more committed relationships or even serious relationships that a person has before they get married, the more difficult it is for them to have a really good, lasting, stable, harmonious marriage. Why? Oh. Yes. Uh, okay, you know what? I'll repeat it, but I'll give it some Talmudic backing. No, it's not. No, 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 no neither, neither. Okay. Let me tell you what the Talmud says. This might shock you a little bit. What's the tolerance level of shock? Go for it. Go yeah? Go for it. Okay. Yeah? Okay, listen. Okay. The Talmud tells us if a couple, right, a man and a woman, have both been previously married, and now they're getting married, they get remarried, right? No one's going to get upset at me for saying this, right? Just share what the Talmud says. Okay? In bed, there's four people in bed. That's what it says. Why? Because everyone brings, and, and, and it doesn't mean there's literally four people in bed. It means that everyone brings their experiences with them. And it's very hard to shed a relationship that you already have. Once you have a relationship, it kind of comes with you for the rest of your life. Right? And that's what, and that's what and what I said and that's the Talmudic basis for my saying. My statement was is that even if you have a relationship before you have a committed relationship, the more relationships or the more serious relationships you have beforehand, the harder it is to isolate this one individual you're going to share the rest of your life with. Why? Because you're you're comparing, right? They're with you, right? It's the it's the kind of baggage that you always bring with you for the rest of your life. Yes. Yeah, but uh, I don't think it's the same. My yeah. parents were not there. His parents were not there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's why. I mean, that's why the blessing is. Well, that's an interesting idea, right? Right. I, I, I think that's. And I, what I, what I'm gonna, I'm gonna do is I'm gonna connect the the fifth blessing to this first. We'll, 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 we'll see how it works. But you're, it's in a development of your, your, of your idea. I want to share one more thing before we launch into uh, uh, scouring this idea from every angle. We have a verse, we have a statement in the Talmud. Okay, if you want to know the source, it's in Yavamos 63b, but really, six, uh, sorry, 62b, but really on the other side of 63a. And it says um, six things. 
It says every man who does not have a woman, who's not married, right, does not have, and it says a list of six things, right? Number one is simcha, happiness. Uh, number two is bracha, blessing. Number three is tova, which is goodness. Number four is Torah, Torah. Someone who's not married doesn't have Torah. Uh, number five is Choma, which means a fence, a fort, protection, a fortress. And the last thing is the one I want to stress on. So it says, uh, and each one of these things could be developed into their own class. What does it mean? What does it mean the woman is going to attribute to right. right. But the last thing is what I want to examine. It says, Kol Adam. I'll translate it. And I want to say it in Hebrew because the words are meaningful. Right? Remember, what is a man called? It's either Ish or Adam. Right? I remember, Adam, who was Adam? Adam. So I think it's once again connecting the idea of marriage to Adam. Kol Adam, every Adam, every man. She'en lo isha, who does not have an isha, a woman. Eino Adam, is not a man. Which is obviously a statement that contradicts itself. Right? Every Adam who doesn't have an isha is not an Adam. Right? Obviously, that, 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 that's a, that's a, that's a that's peculiar, right? What does that mean? Well, you just called him an Adam, right? You said he's, every Adam who doesn't have a woman is not an Adam. What does that mean? Uh, but I think that that's a good question. But the much deeper question is, okay, wait. There's something about a marriage that makes a man into a man or a person or a mensch. And it uses the terminology of, of Adam, of Adam. Right? It doesn't say, Kol ish, lo isha, is something missing or something lacking. He's not special. He's not unique. He's not an Adam. Right? He's not an Adam. Right? Adam is the picture of a man who's been married or who is married. What is Adam and the man who's married, what do those things have in common? What does that mean? What's that, uh, what's that idea? So that's the third thing we're going to address. Okay, so we have, basically, uh, we have the verses here. We have a few, a few questions we want to address with the verses. We said, number one, um, what's the context? We're talking about the bones and this reconstruction of, of the woman or the construction of the woman from his bones, right? It's the uh, first time they use recycled materials. <laughs> recycled materials. Uh, so that's uh, what's... And, and then this, this very strange statement of advice for future generations. And the major question we're trying to figure out is what's so special about Adam and Eve and the relationship that uh, it seems appropriate for the Torah to tell us, right? You should leave your father and mother just like Adam did, right? Even though Adam really didn't quite have a father and mother. And we see this idea actually echoed in other places in, in, Jewish, in Jewish life. We have the statement we say under the chuppah, right? Throughout the seven days of celebration, be like Adam and Eve, right? You're starting marriage, be like Adam and Eve. And the other statement we brought from Yevamos that says a man or an Adam who does not have a woman, who's not married, who's single, is not an Adam. Doesn't have the characteristics of Adam, of man. What do those things mean? Okay? How's everyone doing? What was the sixth? You said they had six. Um... Yeah. No tova, which is goodness. No bracha, which is blessing. No simcha, which is happiness. No Torah. No, Choma. Choma is the Hebrew word for a fortress. And the last thing is not an Adam. And, and what's the last one? There was one more. Adam. Blessing, happiness, goodness, mm-hmm. Torah, mm-hmm. fortress, mm-hmm. and is not an Adam. Okay. Six. Okay. That, that's what I thought. Okay. Right. Okay. Yes, Malta. In order to be a husband and wife or a, or a complete Adam, you need both souls. 
So that's why I think it says that you're not. Mm, you're half. A, you're half a soul. Yeah, you're half of a soul. So you mm. need the the Eve or the Isha to complete the Adam. I like that. And and that would work out really well with the verse, right? Because what does it say? Al Cain, man should leave his father and his mother, should cleave or cling to his wife. What are the final words of the of the verse? Vahayul basar echad, and should become one flesh. Right, mm-hmm. two parents or two individuals from different backgrounds, they become one, one entity. And we had uh, earlier in Genesis, we had Zachar unikeva baram, that man was treated as a, 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 a male and female. Right? Then they were separated. And then they're reunited. So, so that's, that, that, that's certainly true, and I, I'm going to, I think it's, that's all part and parcel of what I want to I share with you. Yes, Lynn. And I, I like that idea, Lynn, because perhaps it contains, it's related to the other idea that you shared, that we, we say two places in the Talmud, both of them I think are in 30, which is interesting. One of them is in Nida 30b, or 31a, and the other one is in, um, is in also in, I think it's 29, but it's close enough, in Kedushin. We say the following statement, we say, Shlosha Shutfin Ba'adam, there's three partners in men. Right. Raise your hand if you've heard this statement. Yeah, there we go. I've heard of someone's heard of it. Two. Three partners in every man. Father and mother and the Almighty. Okay? But this statement where we say it in Kiddushin, we that's all we, we, we that, that, that's it. You say one, two, and three. If you actually go to Nida and you find the other time the Talmud brings down this idea, it adds. And it says that the mother gives five things, the father gives five things, and the Almighty gives ten things. Right? And it says that the mother gives the red things, which one of them is the flesh, right? and the father gives the white things. Remember these things that this 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 could be what's a, it's, its own class. What this actually means, and if assuming I, I know what it means, which I don't, but but what but is what, what's interesting? You just made me think of this: is that the bones are part of the white section, the flesh is part of the red section, mm-hmm. and you're saying that Adam got. Right, basarmi basari, which is flesh for my flesh. Right, etzematzamai, which is bone for my bone. It seems like these two categories of physical qualities, right, are represented by the bones, which is the white and the, which is interesting. I didn't even think about that, but thank you, thank you, Lynn. Uh, okay, so I'm gonna I want to take you all to a uh, a chapter in Genesis, which is a little bit further ahead, but because Rabbi Wolby Senior has been going breakneck so slowly. I'm going to zoom all the way to chapter 24, and uh, you could uh, you find a remarkable story of courtship. And I'm not going to read the entire chapter. It's like roughly 60 somewhat verses. I'm going to just tell you where it is. You can look it up at your own time. You can look it up now as I tell over the story. All right? We're way beyond Adam. Uh, Abraham is getting old. Abram has one son, Isaac. He's what? Well, he's two sons, really. But he's the son, Isaac. He wants to find a woman for Isaac, a wife for Isaac. 
And he tells his trusted servant, which is, whose name is Eliezer, it doesn't say explicitly, but that's his name, Eliezer. He says, I want you to swear to me that you're going to find a certain kind of woman for, for my son Isaac. And uh, not this kind of woman, he swears. He takes his camel, he says, go, go east, go to my family's house, my, my family where I grew up, my neighborhood, head out east, so, and, you know, and find a woman. So he goes, and he has a bunch of camels, and he has a bunch of services, servants, and they arrive to this town to where, where Abraham grew up. And, um, and Eliezer, the servant, starts praying. He says, help me, almighty God, I'm, I want to find a spouse right, for my master's son, for Isaac. Right? And he develops a test. He says, the, uh, right, please help me, God, I'm making a test, help me, help me that the test should work out. What's the test? So he says is that the woman, the right girl for, for, for Isaac, I should ask her for water. And she should, she should say, not only am I going to give you water, I'm going to give all your camels water as well. Right? Everyone's familiar with the story. Excellent. Right? So what happens, he's waiting there. Rebecca comes out. She's carrying the judge on her shoulder. He runs over to her. Uh, he uh, says, can I have some water? She says, sure. Now I'll give you water. I'm going to give your camels water. And he's like, I get so excited. And he gives her jewelry and he meets her parents and he tells the parents the whole story. And then he convinces the parents to let her go. She goes back, all the way, travels back with him to meet Isaac. They meet Isaac. She falls off the camel. It's a little part of the story people don't know. She just collapses off the camel. Interesting. And they get married and all happy, right? That's the story. That's all chapter, chapter 24 in Genesis. And if you take a look at, um, at Rashi, there's a Rashi there. Rashi quotes a piece of Talmud, which is very instructive. Rashi says, This test that Eliezer devised, that this servant devised to, search, to find the appropriate spouse for, for Yitzchak, for Isaac, right? it, it was to determine whether or not this prospective spouse, this girl, has the quality, the characteristic of chesed. Chesed means kindness. That's what Rashi says. Rashi is a very short Rashi. And I find this episode to be remarkable because of three reasons. Reason number one, which is more of a general, gen, general reason, which we could talk about if we want to talk about marriage and courtship specifically and dating. Uh, but the first thing we see is, hey, okay, you want, you want to find a spouse, right? It's very important to know that they have certain list of characteristics. And how are you going to find that out? You develop tests. You devise tests. Right? So Eliezer wanted to make sure that she had chesed, she had kindness. So he developed a test to determine whether she had chesed and kindness. Okay, that's the first thing, which is a nice idea to put in our pocket, right? You want to find, you want to find out this, the, the true char- character of someone, you have to develop a test to, you know, to, that they should come into uh, a conflict that will demonstrate whether or not they have this characteristic. And that's, what, that's the first idea, put that in your pocket. There's two other remarkable um, just wonderful insights that we could, we could glean from this story of Genesis 24. Number one, we see Rebecca is going to marry Isaac. She's going to be the founder or the matriarch of the Jewish people. What was the one quality that was a deal breaker, that was absolutely necessary that she has? Kindness. You're looking for a spouse, and this is also, this remember, this wasn't, these things aren't told to us for no reason. I'm sure this rabbi always developed this idea already. That every time there's any statement, it could be a story, it could be narrative, right? there's always got to be a lesson. And over the years, over the millennia, this story has been used to demonstrate a point. 
when you're looking for a spouse, the most important quality, the one thing that you're not willing to negotiate upon, is chesed. Everything else does not necessarily need to be a deal breaker. This is the one thing that's a deal breaker. But it's the most important thing. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And so she left, you know, she left her parents, and but she was kind despite mm-hmm. how she, you know, how she, she was able to to see beyond. So, so looking at the parents isn't necessarily the best thing to do for looking for, you know, for a spouse, mm-hmm. but looking, you know, at the family. Mm-hmm. I know that my, my my grandfather, whenever he would learn, he would teach in his yeshiva this Genesis twenty four. He would always say, "From here we could see." When you're seeking a spouse, the one thing you look for is chesed, it's kindness. Okay, that's another second remarkable idea from this episode. What's the third remarkable ep- idea? We almost never, I know that I'm sure y'all have had uh, exposure to Musar, and Musar is about character discovery, character isolation, figure out what your character is, and then trying to acquire good characteristics and fix, right, perfect negative characteristics. The most important thing is to find a clear, concise, succinct, precise definition of what exactly Amida means. What exactly is Amida? Define exactly what a characteristic is. If you get to the root, to the core of a character trait. Here we have the Torah telling us, Rebecca, this story, this test that was devised was to determine if she had chesed. If she had kindness. This story demonstrates exactly what kindness really is. Let's get back to the story. What was the test? The test was, I am going to ask her for something. What I really want is something else. That's kind of the way they do it. They do experiments. They don't tell you what they really want. What I want to know if she's going to be able to take that leap and say, he's asking for this, but I see he really needs that. Chesed is the ability to see the world from someone else's perspective. To see what someone else needs. To put yourself in someone else's sh- is shoe. To superimpose yourself into someone else's life and to figure out what they need. I see someone, he's weary. He just arrived from a long journey. He has, there's people with him, there's camels. They clearly, evidently, have been, you know, just arrived from a long journey. He's asking for water, but what does he need? Right? If I have chesed, by definition, I'm able to put myself in someone else's shoes to see what they need. All too often, people are, are selfish. People see the world from their own perspective. Right? So someone asks for water, sure, there's water. Right? But that, that doesn't mean anything. Right? That, that, any person with their chesed, any mensch, would give someone water. Right? Chesed means to see what a person, someone else really needs. And the reason why we have a hard time with this, I'll get to your question in a second, let me finish this point, Lynn. The reason we have a hard time with this is because from day one, a child is selfish. The character, the overwhelming characteristic of a child is absolute selfishness. A child's agenda consists of one item, themselves. They don't give, they, they don't give a darn, Right? about anyone else, right? If I'm hungry, right? Mm-hmm. Right. 
all hell breaks loose, right? Yeah. It's the middle of the night. Well, your mom has been up all day. Doesn't matter, mm-hmm. right? So. This is what I need. I'm going to scream till I get it, mm-hmm. right? A small child rarely wakes up in the middle of the night to tend to her crying mother. It doesn't happen like that, right? Children are very selfish. Right? Sometimes, unfortunately, people are unable to break out of the shackles of their own selfishness. And sometimes you see adults, people could be very old and still be selfish and still be a baby. They still have, they're still, they're, they're still, the only agenda item in their life is themselves. Chesed means you don't just see yourself, you see others. You see others. What they, what they, what, her, what happens to them happens to a certain degree to you as well. It bothers you. It's not just me, myself, how do I take care of myself? doesn't mean to, God forbid, we're not trying to argue that someone should not take care of themselves. But the greatest challenge, I would, I would argue that, the greatest challenge we have in our lives, in our growth, is going to be this point. We're innately selfish. From, we're inborn. Our inborn character trait, the most dominant one, is that of selfishness. We have to become from selfish people to chesed people, to kind people. That's the progress of someone's growth. To care for others as well. And I would argue, I'm going to try to do this in a clear way that we can build it up and it makes sense because there's a few different points here that someone can actually, oh, I'm sorry, Lynn, I've, You think? And then, but her father, to the, you know, to, to, to compare, to contrast, before Eliezer took Rebecca with him, Levon was trying to get more and more, you know, jewelry or whatever, you know, in exchange for Rebecca. So, I mean, he was trying to see what he could do. He was still that. supremely self- selfish. That's interesting. And 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 I, I thought you were saying this. Tell me if, if this is what your another one of your points is that he specifically brought all the camels that they should be props in his test. Exactly. Interesting. With kindness also comes respect. The more kind and altruistic you can support someone, the more respect for the other person's feelings. Mm-hmm. You really do forget about yourself, mm-hmm. your own future. But but Marilyn, out of kindness comes a lot of themes. We want to zero in on the root of kindness. What's the root? You talk about the female being kind. Why would the female look into a man? How about the man being also kind? Well, I believe that it goes both ways. Absolutely. And I'm going to explain. Let me say the next point. But I want to first say a story. I want to share a story, and this story, my brother and I uh, share a particular fondness for the story, because um, you know my our, our grandfather wrote amazing, amazing books. Oh, he authenticated. Okay, but my grandfather wrote like literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of pages of tremendous wisdom, right? And I, I can't think of another example where there's actually a story. But in Alei Shur, my grandfather's first work, he wrote in 19, 
uh, well, first work in Hebrew that he wrote in 1966, has in it a story, a beautiful story that really underscores this point. So I want to share with you. And I'm sure my brother has heard the story a thousand times because I've seen it in multiple places um, where in my grandfather's uh, work, so this is the first place it was in L.A. Shore, but multiple places he actually brings back this, brings this point, uh, brings a story. And the story was as follows. So it was, it was the day before Pesach. And is there a busier day in the Jewish calendar? I would argue not. And the rabbi's busy dealing with questions all day, gets a knock at the door. Opens up the door. Who does he see? One of his congregants. He says, oh, how you doing? Shalom Aleichem. What's happening? I'm sure you're so busy. He says, Rabbi, I have a question. What's your question? Shoot. He says, Rabbi, I know tonight, it's the Seder night. I want to know if I could supplant instead of the four cups of wine, can I use four cups of milk? <laughs> That's his question. Uh, it, was, it was evident that he didn't have enough money. Oh. You know, for... So Rabbi's thinking, thinking, it's got to be wine. It's not, it has to be wine, but listen, I'm going to give you some money. Give him some money. And the guy goes, his wife is watching the whole thing, the whole story unfold. And she says to him, I don't understand. The man came with a question. Right? Can I use milk? He says, no. You gave him money. You gave him such, like, such a large amount of money. Right? You've heard the, you heard the story before? No. no. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Such a large amount of money. Why did just give him enough money for the, for for one? You gave him a lot, you know, sizable amount of money. He says Rabbi says no, no, no. From his question, I understood that he doesn't have food for the meal either. Yeah, because right. he would never eat milk and meat at the right. same meal. Exactly. From the fact that he wants to drink, wants to ask the permissibility, he's considering to drink milk. To, to, to drink milk must be he doesn't have meat for the meal. So I gave him enough money, not only for wine, but also for for meat and for food for everything. Right. And Rabbi says this story demonstrates how someone is able to not just see the world from their own perspective, but to try to put themselves in someone else's shoes. This person is asking me a question. I'm not just saying, oh, well, no, milk, meat, well, let's go to the sources, right? That's how I would probably approach it. Yeah. Someone who has chesed says, what does this person need? How do I see the world from his perspective? Put myself in his shoes, right? Project myself into his situation. He's asking for milk. It must be he doesn't have food for me either. That's chesed. And now, back to your question, and that is, uh, this, uh, this story of Eliezer, right? The servant, he, he's seeking chesed. Perhaps the lesson for us is that this characteristic, being able to see the other person's perspective, not being selfish, is the, is the most critical characteristic necessary for marriage. In marriage, in an Unlimited amount of scenarios. You have two people, right? Different sexes, different ideas on everything in life, right? Different backgrounds. They can even be from different countries, right? In every imaginable situation, they have different ways of viewing things. Right? How are they possibly going to coexist? Well, love. For sure, no, right? More than that. It's more than but love. In every... That's one thing. That's one thing. That's a good question. What about... I like that question. That's a story. He did, he wasn't able to go for a side reason. She has asked you why isn't the man kind? Yeah. But I think we have Abraham whose major trait was kindness. We have Joseph who people... 
Yeah, but uh, uh, Dave, I'm going to argue. Sarah was kind also. Yes, well, uh, Patriarchs and Patriarchs, their major was kindness. That's true, but remember, what do we have here? What do we have here? We have the story of courtship. And and let me finish the point. Uh, The story of courtship tells us that they're seeking their kindness. We could say that the, the only way for a couple to coexist is if each one of them is not going to be stubborn and see the world only from their perspective. If you're going to be selfish, if you're not going to be kind, i.e., if you'll refuse to see the world in any other way, right, then the way you've been brought up as an individual, as selfish, as a baby, you know, it's not going to work out. And that's why, that's what, uh, that back, to your, back to your question, is that, of course, it has to be from both sides. Right? Otherwise, if, if each one of them is unyielding, if each one of them is unwilling to uh, to to negotiate, not negotiate is a bad word, but to uh, to compromise and to be willing to give up a little bit of their stance, it's not going to work out. It's not going to work out. If two people are stubborn and 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 selfish, it's not going to work out. Well, it might work out. Separate bedrooms, separate TV remotes, separate bank accounts, and prenuptials. That might work out, but that's not really a success. That's not a marriage. That's not a marriage. That's not a marriage. Empathy? <laughs> sort of. Rabbi Wolby, Hebrew word for empathy? Yeah, maybe. Thank you, that's a good point, yeah. That's a good point, yeah. My question was, if there is a word, why aren't you using that word instead of Well, because I'm using what the Torah said. Well, remember, I brought a Rashi. Rashi says that he wants to find if she had chesed. But it's the same thing. You're, you're, you're probably correct. Yeah, I, I'm just, I, I can rely on Rashi. Rudy, you have to understand. You see, Rashi... It's enough. You could just you could mm-hmm. drop everything. This is what it says. I, I, but you're right. I, I, but at the core, it's the same idea. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to stick to the core here. And uh, you know, like Marilyn brought up, there's multiple manifestations of this of this idea. But at the core, what it means is not being selfish, right? breaking out of the shackles of the innate uh, self-centeredness, seeing the world from someone's perspective, right? being able to be. They did it together? They did it together. Maybe. I'd consider that as well. <laughs> I like that. That works. Good Lynn. Are they blaming each other? Good, good in there. Are they blaming each other? Even if they did such a wrong thing, the fact that they were united, the fact that they were together. Well, but I, I disagree with that because the idea of Ezekonegda, which is what, I mean, um, Eve was was a helpmate. And the Ezekonegda, it's not just you go along with someone when they're doing something that's wrong. You, you try and, you know, you... So then you don't believe they did it together? It's not a good thing. Yeah, well, no. Yeah, well, well, yeah. What you're saying, I'm gonna try to play peacemaker here. I think you could both be saying something that's correct. I think Rudy could be saying, "Hey, listen, you know, if you're gonna be a little naughty, so to speak, right? Doesn't mean that you should commit murders together. Rudy's not saying you should commit murders together, right? Rudy's not saying Bonnie and Clyde. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying." But there's a certain lesson that even if you're not doing something so perfect, it's better you do it together. Better you stay united. And that, that's a legitimate point. Yes, they did. Yeah, and that's all you're... Absolutely. And Rudy, Rudy would not... Uh, Rudy, would you advocate that the husband and wife should murder together? No, 
Of course not. So yes. He's making it up. Yeah, he was. Yes, that's why. Keep the peace. Okay, so um, so 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 we see how the idea of kindness, the idea of kindness, uh, is the only way for marriage to for, to to even work. Otherwise, either they're they're divorced. Or separate bedrooms, separate television remotes, separate bank accounts, and separate lives, right? In our society. Or in every society. Well, even Adam. But uh, Even Adam. And remember, even Rebecca. The Muslims stay married, and look at that relationship. So it's but so, you don't know what goes inside. You don't know yeah, well, maybe it's separate TVs, separate remotes, maybe. and separate uh, Korans. Separate yes. Separate. Oh, they have several wives. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not the same. <laughs> now, I want to say a deeper idea. For the Jews. I want to say a deeper idea here. I want to argue that not only is this midah of chesed or of empathy, of chas, not only is it the only way for a marriage to survive, it's the definition of marriage. It's the definition of marriage. Marriage means, as uh, as, Malta, as Malta brought up, marriage means taking two people who are selfish or at least have their own lives, have their own agenda, have their own perspective, have their own circumstances of, of their existence, taking two entities and morphing them and fusing them into one. That's the definition of marriage. Not only is chesed the survival guide to marriage, chesed is the definition of marriage. Marriage means giving up your uh, individuality, giving up your self-centeredness, developing a new identity. So this is a much deeper understanding. And perhaps... This is what it means. Adam, what happened? What's the context of the story? Adam's looking for a spouse. He finds no spouse. Gets put to sleep. We take out his bone. We take out his flesh. We build a woman. Adam gets up and declares. He makes a declaration. This is verse 23. Zosapam, this time, etzem me'atzamai. Basar mi'basari. This is this is me. This woman is not someone else. It's not some new entity. It's me. It's my bone. It's my flesh. It's not something which is external to me. And voila. What does the Torah say? Do you read this? Torah's telling you, years later, I'll came. Therefore, did you just read what I said? I just, Adam just made this wonderful declaration. Right? He called his wife part of me. It's a bone for my bone. It's flesh for my flesh. Stop the tape. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> Stop the tape. We have to make a this. We have to teach a lesson. Okay, therefore, a man, years later, should leave his father and his mother, cleave to his wife, and become one flesh. Adam, over here, demonstrates us what the definition of marriage is. Marriage is, she's a bone for my bones. She's part of me. We're two parts of one entity. And we're telling, we're telling the, the reader, you have to leave your father and your mother. What does it mean, your father and mother? Your father and mother means your background. Your whole life was it's where you grew up. And it's your identity. Right? That is all defined by what, what family I'm from. I am a product of my family. I have an identity. If I want to develop a new identity, I have to shed the old identity. I meant to leave his father and his mother. What does that mean? Shed away that other identity. If you keep, if you stick, if you guard, right, 
hold of your previous self, the selfish, self-centered, self-focused, one agenda, right? you're not going to be able to, to, to build a marriage. You have to be able to drop that. Leave your father and your mother. It doesn't mean your actual father and your mother. Adam didn't have a father and mother. Right? Right. But Adam told us, this woman is part of me, and that is the definition of marriage. And reading this years later, I'll get to your, your, your point in a second. Years later, you're reading this, right? Stop the tape. A man has to be willing to forfeit a little bit of his own identity. He has to leave his father and his mother. His father's mother is, 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 is the, the idea. It's not, not, not his actual parents. He'd be living across the country. But it's who he is, how he grew up, how he views things. Right? It's indicative of, of, of his personality and his perspective. You have to be willing to compromise in that. You have to leave your father and your mother. Cling to your wife. Become one flesh. You take two, you make them one. That's the definition of marriage. No one is better to show us how this is done than Adam. Adam got up and declared, this is a flesh part of my flesh. This is my bones, right? This was formed for me. We tell young, and we give a blessing to the, to, to the, uh, to the, uh, to the perspective bride and groom, right? What do we tell them? Be as happy as Adam and Eve were. Why, why were they happy? Because they had a real marriage. They, they had a single, unified identity. They were one flesh. They had their issues, but they had a marriage. Over there. I understand what you're saying, man. Explain, then explain to yourself. How can you have a hundred lives? Yeah, yeah, I, I think yes. And and remember, we had the question from the other from the other perspective. What we see, Rebecca, right? She was chesed. She was willing to see the wolf from our perspective. She was open. She wasn't too married. Pun not really intended. Married to this identity that she has from childhood. She was able to leave that. And someone asked, well, what about Isaac? And well, so we, yeah, I agree. 100%, Rudy is 100% correct. This, so why does it say, it's a good question. I'm not trying to denigrate that question. I think it's a very fine question. Why does it say, ish uh, a man shall leave his father and his mother? It's possible the simple answer would be, well, this is Adam. And Adam was the one who has this tremendous declaration. And we say, man, you should be like Adam. But then again, remember, under the chuppah, under the wedding canopy, and for the seven days of celebration, we tell both of them, both of you should be like Adam and Eve. So yes, to a certain and Eve also she she felt she's part of Adam. They're one entity. I think I may suggest I think the reason is because women um, have either been filed, preloaded into their system. Yeah, you talked about that. Hardwired. Pre-installed. Yeah. Marriage. A woman mm-hmm. at the age of two has the nature of being a nurturer. So you're saying the man needs to needs to compromise a little more than more. More than a woman does. A woman by nature, I, I have four boys and two girls. 
I guarantee you my two girls are far ahead of my two, my four boys. Even though some of the boys are older, their nature is to be satisfiers, to be pleasers, to be mm -hmm. nurture, nurturing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Man's nature is not yeah. necessarily so. Therefore, the man needs to sense. change his habits. The man needs <laughs> Which doesn't mean that the woman does not need to do anything. No, for sure. But maybe, but maybe, but maybe the Torah wanted to stress that hey, you're a man. You're going to, need to do a little more of that heavy lifting. Yeah, and you once again, uh, Lynn, you just gave me another idea that I want to say. I know, uh, just for the sake of uh, brevity, I want to. There's another tremendous idea that I want to share with you guys, which is connected to this idea. And remember, we. Um, but let me say another idea, another cool idea. Uh, so many cool ideas, Rabbi. Awesome. Okay, if you take a look at uh, track, uh, not track, the the section, the fifth section, fourth or fifth section in Exodus. It gives the laws about a slave, a Jewish slave. Right? Why does someone going to become a Jewish slave? How does that work? It's a whole story. But how, you know, how does someone actually become a slave? And under what circumstances would someone actually be sold as a slave? Separate discussion. But it, it, there's, a, there's a halachic distinction between a single, unmarried slave mm -hmm. and a married slave. Right? Uh, but for our purposes, I want to uh, focus on the way the Torah calls a single person. Very strange use of, use of terms. It says, "Im begapo yavo begapo yitzay." So the, the the law is that if someone's a little bit counterintuitive, but if someone is single and gets married as a, and, and you, you you acquire a, a Jewish slave who's single, you're not allowed to marry him off to your non-Jewish slave woman. But if he is married, then you are allowed to marry. So it's a little bit counterintuitive. But the point is, is that the Torah says us if he is single, im, if he comes single, he should leave single. But what word does the Torah use to describe a single person? Gapo. Big gapo. What does gapo mean? So it means the edge of his clothing. The edge of his clothing. Which I can think of a lot of good ways to describe single people. The first one would not be this one, right? Uh, to describe a single person, right, you would say uh, maybe lazy, maybe it's a mess, uh, self-centered. The edge of his clothing. So um, I once heard a idea which is it's a continuation of this of this principle is that a single person their life ends with their clothing ends their life ends with their clothing ends that's all that matters to them someone gets married what they're doing they're doing something very painful right because they're taking their identity and there's and, and they're leaving they're leaving the father and the mother but they're expanding themselves their life does not anymore end where their clothing ends. Now, it's two of them, right? It's expansion of oneself to include someone beyond oneself. That's the definition of marriage. And clothing, very good. But now, listen to this point, crucial point. 
How does the Torah call great people? What is the Hebrew term for a great person? Adam Gadol. That's a righteous person. A great person. Adam Gadol. What does Gadol mean? Big. Big person. It's a little bit strange. In Aramaic, Gavra Rabba, which also means a big person. And my grandfather once asked, why would you call a great person a big person? It's a little offensive. I don't know. Large man. But he explained. The definition of someone's greatness is how big they are. A single person's life ends with their clothing ends. That's how big they are. Someone who's married, it extends to their spouse and to their children. They're expanding, becoming a little bigger, a little bit greater. A great person is someone whose self expands to include even other people. If, If I'm a great person and someone gets hurt, I feel like I get hurt. They're part of me. Such a lot, the, the greatest person is the largest person because their self includes other people. Now, we see that Adam told us that he gave us this lesson. If you want to be, if you want to be a married person, you have to leave your father and your mother. Right? You have to break out of that cloth, like we say. You have to expand yourself to include someone beyond oneself. <laughs> but this, another crucial point is that if you're going to become a great person, shall I repeat what I just said? Okay. It's <laughs> a joke. If you're going to become a great person, typically the first step of someone's greatness is going to be the first time that they're able to expand beyond themselves. That's why marriage is going to be, typically, if someone's going to be a great person, it's going to start with their marriage. That's the first time, that's the first time where they expand their self. And that hopefully would lead lead to a life of greater and greater and greater expansion, becoming a greater and greater person to include other people. And that's what you said. You brought you you brought Abraham. Abraham. And I, but I think you're, the, the, the verse that you brought earlier, remember you brought Lech Lecha, right? Uh, Lynn brought the, the first verse in, Parsh, in Parshat Lech Lecha, right? What, 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 what does it say? It says that Abraham left his family, left his community, left his town, left his country. Right? It, just, it seems eerily similar to this instruction that we have for marriage. Abraham is the great person, is the leader. Marriage, parallel, these two ideas parallel each other. Because it's the same thing. One of them is you and your family, expansion of oneself, not being self-centered, not being self-centric, not being only cared about myself. I include the family. I have chesed. Abraham, in his journey to become a great person, what does it say? With his wife. With his wife, correct. And I'll, I'll get to his wife in a second. And I'll, I'll add to, what you, to your point. Abraham, at the beginning of his journey, what does it say? He left. What did he leave? He left his family, his parents, his house, his community. Once again, the same process of breaking out of those shackles of self-centeredness. And now, another point to add to Lynn's point. Abraham and, and Sarah both get a name change. Yeah. Right? Avram 
to Avraham. What does Avraham mean? Av Hamon Doim. He's going to be a father of many nations. Abraham was a leader that included everyone. everyone. He was able to, to, to empathize with other people. Sarai became Sarah. What does Sarai mean? My minister. What is Sarah? Which means the minister. Once again, in a certain point in, in Sarah's greatness, she went from being inclusive to including other people. Or exclusive. Exclusive to inclusive. Now, I want to say, I, I know it's, it's getting late. Do we have some more time here? Evans? Another hour? Okay. So let's settle down. Um, if you remember, if you remember at the beginning, we brought another verse, we brought another statement from the Talmud. The Talmud says, Kol Adam Adam. Every man who's not a who's, who's not married is not a man. Now, remember, uh, I don't know how much this was covered in previous weeks, but the idea of Adam is the collection, the collective entity of all of mankind. Adam personified this idea. Right? We look at Adam. There's only one man and one woman. We're all parts of Adam. This is a little bit of a deep idea, but if you take a look at the uh, Talmudic sources to talk about Adam, I would send you all to Sanhedrin 37, 38, 39. There's pages of talking about Adam. It says Adam was as big as the world. It says the, all these things about Adam make him seem so huge because he was the collective of all of mankind. His decision was all of mankind's decision. Right? Adam, by definition, is not only the first person to get married, he was the first leader. We're telling you, call Adam, every person, She'en lo isha is not an Adam. What does it mean? What does that mean? We said it's contradicts itself. Right? Every man is not a man. What does that mean? Adam was more than just a man. Adam was the leader. The Adam, the Adam was the person who encompassed everyone. Right, the greatest leader. Right, he actually included everyone within himself. If you're not married, if you're not forced to have chesed, forced to get rid of your own little cocoon that you grew up with, that spoiled, not spoiled, but that selfish baby, you'll never become a leader. Why? Because the same characteristic that enables us to be leaders, to include oneself, the starting point is going to be marriage. What is marriage? Expansion of yourself. This is a part of me. This is, right, this is not some external person that I have to get along and acclimate. If so, what, what do we have? Separate TV, separate bedrooms, and uh, separate lives. It's becoming one. It's taking something which is really external to me and including that under the umbrella of, of who I am, of my identity. Right? That's the first step for leadership as well. Right? If I don't have, I'm not married, I'm not going to be a leader. Right? It's not because of some merit that you have of you know marriage or like... If, if, Every strong man has a woman, a strong woman, or right? We've all heard of those platitudes are coming out of our ears. Right? We've all heard that a thousand times. Has anyone heard that a thousand times? Yeah. It's devoid of meaning, right? Every uh, successful man has... Right? Behind every world, that's Huh? He's been president, but hadn't been married, so... James Buchanan. Correct. The 15th president. Or was he not married? Or was never married? Um, yes. <clears throat> But there, not every president is a great, a great, great, great yeah. yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's for sure. What about what about our leaders yeah, that have a hundred wives? So? Well, that's the question you really brought up. That's a it's a good question. Yeah, but in uh, the old times, even the Jews had more than one woman. That's the same question. You said that's uh, Solomon. Become a unity. Then. Oh. 
a good question. And that's, uh, that's remember, it's also a uh, politically uh, unviable discussion. But then, so that's why I, how many, how many? It's a good souls, question. Yeah, souls are one of them. One answer. Let's uh, no. Uh huh. I bet you have, but you have, but you have something you could say. Like no, no, you can make up something. <laughs> no, right. That's what Leia? you'll never know is that even if but, I don't have something to say, I'll just make it up. We're talking so. about ourselves, right? Fair Leia enough. Had Jacob, so they both. But that's maybe more. It's not a hundred. No, it's, it's a good question. It's a very good question. Um. Yeah, so I'll tell you, um, Lynn, the the first the first source I would look for any answer is probably the Talmud. The second source would probably be Maimonides, and the third source would be my grandfather's writings. So in my grandfather's writings, huh? That's correct. Yitzchak was uh, was there's levity in there, but but my grandfather writes, and uh, and that's to, to me this is uh, tantamount to it being enshrined on the tablets, right? <laughs> This is, my grandfather writes something, it's serious, it's weighty. He says it's all, he talks all about the perspective that it should be in a home, and it should be relaxed, and it should be fun, and it should be upbeat, and it should be, you know, it should, it should be fun, it should be warm, it should be happy, it should be jokes, right? Uh, it, actually, Maimonides writes that. Maimonides, well, not jokes, but the point is, sense of humor, yes, yes, sense of humor, that's correct. I, I agree to your point. Um, Maimonides writes, I'm, I just remember Maimonides says that also. He, he, he writes in the laws of marriage, right? he says that a man cannot be stiff or cold or, or uh, um, you know, um, what are the words he uses? I can't remember the strict, he says that. You have to be, Maimonides writes that. So that's, there you go. I'm sure Thomas says that also. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. It does say. I don't know if it says it like in modern terms. I want to share one more crazy idea, guys, and I think this might be a clincher for everyone. So, you know, if you were to take what we said here until now, you basically have two primary ideas. We have Adam and Eve. We have a marriage that's worthy of being admired, and we have Adam as being a great leader. And we said, and. We, what are those two? Like, we, we are as Adam and a great marriage. Right? So we said, Adam made a declaration. This is part of me. Right? He was able to leave his father and his mother. Why? Because they were formed from the same entity. Right? And that's the attitude that marriage has. And we see that. That's what, and that's what chesed means. And that's what they looked for when they wanted to get married. Right? The ability, and this is our, our challenge in life, the ability to break out of the inborn, innate self-centeredness 
to include someone else within our lives, to put ourselves in someone else's shoe. That's the key to marriage. That's the key to leadership. I want to share another crazy idea with the clincher. And this is from my grandfather. He writes, he brings, there's a Talmud. The Talmud makes a very bizarre correlation between chesed, you know what chesed is, mm-hmm. and yirah. What does yirah mean? Literally means fear, awe. But what it means is a serious relationship with God. And it puts these two things in one basket. And my grandfather asked, wait a second, chesed is interpersonal. You think of chesed, you think of someone who's warm, someone who's kind, someone who's caring, someone who's giving your camels to drink. Someone who's not selfish. Someone, you know, who's warm, who's friendly, who's got a sense of humor, is not, not so stiff, is not is willing to compromise, wants to see what other people say. That's what you think of chesed. When you think of Yira, you think someone who's serious, someone has a really, God is serious, I take things seriously, I don't sin, I know the, 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 the uh, severity, the weightiness of my actions. What do these two things have to do with each other? They're, they're, they're polar opposites, not polar opposites, but they're opposite ends of the spectrum in, 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 the, in, the, character, uh, in the character collection. Right? One of them is man between man and God, one of them is man and man. One of them is serious. One of them is, is effusively gregarious. What's the connection? Like after I said like this, he says, when someone opens up a window in their hearts, breaks out of the status they've been in since childhood, and sees someone else. And if you remember with Moses, Moses is another great leader. What's the fourth story here with Moses? What's the first story that the Torah tells us about Moses? He saw someone suffering. I don't want to get too bogged down with this. Once you see some, you open up a window. From day one, you're a child, you're selfish. You're living with yourself. You don't see anyone else. You don't care for anyone else. You have one agenda, that's you. You open that window. You see someone else. You have chesed. That same window will enable you to see God. Someone who does not have chesed, someone who's selfish, is so caught up with themselves, they cannot have chesed, they can't see other people. They can't have real marriage. They can't be leaders. They can't even see God. The danger, the danger of being caught up in one's own self-centeredness, selfishness, in being a baby, and not being willing to negotiate, not being able to drop your parents. It doesn't mean to not be nice to your parents. It means to drop your identity, to, 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 to see other people, to not only see yourself, to not be selfish, to not be a baby. You can't do that. You can't drop that. Not only are you severely limited with your interpersonal relationships, you can't relate to God either. That same window is necessary for interpersonal and man-to-man relation and man-to-God relationships. So that's the idea. And when we're under a Jewish canopy, right? We, we give the greatest blessing you could possibly give to a husband and wife. You're about to start your relationship. This is going to be the first step of a wonderful marriage together but also the first step of your journey into great Jewish leadership. Who do you have to look out for? Adam. Adam and Eve. Their relationship personified what marriage is all about and what leadership is all about. And the added cherry on top is that enables man to have a relationship with God. Names of God. Is the and so 
Now, um, thank you. I, I like that. Um, what, 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 as to back to what I said at the beginning, what we shared here is the core idea. I don't think it was practical. I mean, it was, it's not a practical class. I have plenty of practical classes. Want to hear them? If you guys convince Rabbi Wolpe to let me come again, um, by popular demand, probably will never happen. But if I get, but 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 remember, this is the core. What we share with you, this is the core. We have the Torah goes out of its way to do things that it never did elsewhere. Stop the tape. Stop the narrative, and give a directive for generations, millennia down the line. Remember Adam and Eve. When you're building a relationship, this is the model. Yeah, thank you all. I appreciate it. I hope you all enjoyed. Yes, Rudy, please. We learned that Hashem created this world. The whole reason was to shower us with Pesach. So for us to be godlike, we need to be kind. We have to develop that relationship with Hashem. We have to be uh, Absolutely. kind. That's how that kindness opens the door to I like that. The, the, we, we know the Torah says in, in uh, Deuteronomy, it says, uh, what does the Almighty ask from you? What does the Almighty want from you? Right? One of the things is to be like God. And the Talmud explains this. What does it mean to be like God? Just like God is merciful, is kind, you be kind, you be merciful. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Yes, thank you all.